We founded uh, our, our family charity, we describe it as a family charity because it's run entirely by um, family members, so myself and my four children, on the, on the death of my wife, Elizabeth, um, from pancreatic cancer in 2010. And since then, we've been providing a range of support services to those who are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and their carers and families, and that ranges from financial support through to befriending advocacy um, and emotional support. And it, it's the latter, really, that we've been more involved with and engaged with um, in recent times. It's been a really tough year for so many people for so many different reasons. How has the coronavirus, the COVID-19 pandemic affected you guys? As a charity, not not very much. We we've been quite business as usual. You've got to be careful how you use that term. Um, but all of our services have been provided as they would, you know, to, to the same degree as they have been provided in the past. Uh, the, the the media we have used um, have changed. So. Um, there is there is less face to face contact with patients or carers or meeting up for a coffee or or whatever. So um, the, the the dreaded Zoom has been a, a tool um, where people have been happy with that. Otherwise, um, a lot of phone calls, uh, often long phone calls, um, text and. Um, email to 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 keep in touch so we've 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 changed the the means of communicating but we're quite light on our feet we don't have the overheads and constraints that some of the major charities have had so therefore we've been able to respond in the same way we have seen a downturn in the number of people coming to us either directly or through referral from, say, NHS um, clinical nurse specialists, which is one route for referral into our charity. Not not a major drop, um, but we've put that down to uh, people being affected generally by what's been going on and being less inclined to put their head above the parapet, if that's the right expression, um, and ask for for help. And of course, lots of people's NHS services have been uh, delayed or postponed or whatever so that's meant that there's been a slower um, sort of um, there's been slower traffic coming through the system um, so but otherwise we've been operating as normal we're we're 24/7 basically so the the, the helpline phone sits next to my toaster in in the kitchen and if it rings at three o'clock in the morning and somebody wants to speak to me, um, then I get up and speak to them. But that, that hasn't happened. People have phoned and left messages or texted um, in, in the early hours, but I've, I've not yet been woken from my slumbers. But w- that's the service we offer because you can't operate a, a full support service if people have emotional needs. If you say, well, you know, it's nine to five, Monday to Friday, guys, so um, take it or leave it. Yeah, emotions only happen during those hours, don't they? Nine to five, Monday to Friday. <laughs> We, we, we know this you know, an issue about the, the health service more generally in terms of access. Obviously, they do their best and they've been doing a fantastic job. Um, but there is a need, I think, um, particularly with cancer services, to now reset the NHS response and 
servicing cancer patients because they've been hugely affected. Um, and I, I, I was looking through some of the um, some of the figures, Charlotte, uh, mostly from Pancreatic Cancer UK, um, about surgery reduced to 20% of normal capacity. Uh, bear in mind that um, fewer than 20% of those diagnosed with pancreatic cancer will be eligible for surgery anyway. Um, the same sort of impact on diagnostic services, uh, particularly with uh, EUS endoscopic um, ultrasound, which is a, is a key tool, as you know, in determining what happens next following initial investigations. Um, and I think that the one of the, one of the telling sort of um, stats um, in, in April, which was our first full month of the pandemic, I think. Is that, is that, does that sound right? Yeah, lockdown um, was the 23rd of March was the first full right. lockdown. That's right. Now, en en engraved on your, your mind, but not mine. Sorry about that. But um, so, so, so in April, referrals to um, specialists for uh, suspected upper GI cancer, which includes pancreatic, as you, as you know, was, was down a third on the figures seen in March and February. So there was a dramatic fall of about two thirds. Palliative therapy for pancreatic cancer down 30%. And PC UK, Pancreatic Cancer UK, also received um, reports of some patients receiving no support at all between diagnosis and, and death. That's not unique. It's unusual and it needs to become you know, more unusual. We need to be accessing these patients um, very quickly with whatever support services they they need. I think it's fair to say that there were some signs of innovation and good practice on the part of um, senior clinicians, both at a surgical and sort of medical oncology level, to see if they could get round things, do things slightly differently that might have the same impact on, on on patients, but it's been difficult for them because they've been constrained by the hospital's policy. And we know what hospital's policies and priorities have been. It's been all around COVID. Um, so they've been constrained um, in that. But um, although some of those practices were put into place, um, we're seeing some of the um, we've seen a sort of recurrence of some of the first wave issues coming back again. So there, there, is, there is a need to sort of, as I say, reset where we are with, um, with, with cancer services generally. You mentioned, obviously, you'll be talking to uh, patients throughout all of this. What, yep. have been, what have been the people that have been talking to you? What have been their concerns? What have been their worries? Have they changed over the last year? Well, the, the um, I suppose the, the two the two big changes. Um, so there's, there's the three things that we've we we found. One 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 is one is about COVID. One is about services, and the other is about um, psychosocial issues. Um, so the latter was there before COVID, um, but patients and and spouses, depending on who we're having the dialogue with. So it might be directly with the patient. It usually is, but sometimes it's with a spouse or with a son or, or daughter. Um, so they, they have been worried about access to services and, and delays that they have experienced um, directly. Um, they've also been concerned about 
um, contracting COVID, uh, or or at least they were. I mean, we're, we're living in times now, you and I were discussing earlier about the vaccination programme. So we're living in different times from that point of view. Um, but those were the issues early on. Um, and of course, the, the COVID and the um, access to services, they, they kind of go hand in hand, but um, together they produce um, a formidable amount of extra stress and anxiety, which of course plays into that inability, if you like, to manage and fight off some of the symptoms that patients are suffering. So it has this sort of knock-on effect directly. And patients have felt um, a bit isolated in, in some cases, um, concerned about their routine monitoring. So um, the date of their scan has been put back because of the pressure on the diagnostic service. So we understand why this is, is, is happening. That in turn has pushed back the consultation, the monitoring consult consultation every three or six months they have with their, with their surgical team or with their oncology team. Um, those consultations, when they have taken place, have often been via phone calls, um, which I think most of the people we're in touch with have got used to. But if, it's, if it is a phone call, or not, this, this is not quite the same with, with Zoom, but mo most of them, I think, have been phone calls, then that means that carers and relatives can't take part in that dialogue. Now, that's critical. So that may, we may be saying, well, at least the consultant has got on the blower, had this conversation with the patient, reassured them about the delays in their their diagnostic checks and, and any treatment. But I think we miss a trick here if we're not careful in terms of excluding, not deliberately, but excluding uh, carers and families from that vital discussion. Whereas we know um, patients um, don't take everything in when, when they're having a conversation with their consultant. It's just how it is and how you feel. And you know, I've been there with my wife and I've also been there with other patients in clinical settings where it's been most difficult for them to, to take everything on board. So it, it, it's had a huge impact, but then we knew it would. And we know that cancer is not the only area of medicine where, and disease where this impact has occurred. So, so, but we need to find a way out of it and, and, and forward really so but so very challenging really charlotte it has been challenging for, for lots of people and i guess charities as well have faced their own challenges not just dealing with the extra support that needs to go out there but also supporting members of staff as well and yeah. dealing with the the pandemic from a, their own kind of organizational point of view how do you feel the charity sector has kind of well it's a big sector i appreciate how do you feel that, that sort of like the, the charities have responded to this I would like to think very well because uh, we're in touch with with a number of the leading UK um, uh, pancreatic cancer charities, and we're part of um, the um, uh, Pancreatic Cancer World Alliance, the Global Alliance. And so we're getting feedback, and they're doing they're keeping busy doing lots of things, collecting data, and, and trying to understand uh, what 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 has happened. Um, but but as I say, we we have had slightly fewer referrals, whereas the, the larger charities already have large numbers coming to them, but they've seen the need for support 
and information increase significantly and rapidly. And, and yet the, these services um, are, are being provided by the major charities are, uh, against the backdrop of financial and logistical challenges, fewer staff uh, for reasons that we, we know about, um, and I would say really an unparalleled drought in volunteers. In terms of the capacity of charities to meet the increased challenge um, of the requirements of cancer patients during this, um, this period, it, it's been very significant. Um, and the future looks challenging for the cancer charities. I think they're mostly pretty resilient, but funding prospects remain low because things like fundraising, I mean, fundraising has gone on, as we know, during lockdown, and some people have done some wonderful things and raised significant sums of, of money. Um, but uh, patient need is, is still increasing. There's a backlog of patients um, who haven't been screened, investigated or, or treated. Some have died, Charlotte, and that, that, that's inevitable um, with pancreatic cancer and with other cancers and with other diseases. So we've lost people. Would, would those people have survived longer if uh, services had been in place as normal? Probably yes. Um, but for the charities, it, it's going to be tough. NHS staff are um, exhausted um, and people living with, with cancer or symptoms of um, cancer have been more anxious, not just about their treatment, but about their well-being generally. And that's that's crucial because it's important in its own right, but it also has an extremely important impact on their ability to manage those symptoms um, and, and, and deal with the loneliness, the desolation, um, and, and when they're frightened um, about what lies before them. Um, and I'm, I'm speaking to people in those circumstances on a weekly basis. Um, and it's tricky. It, 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 it's, it's difficult. It's tricky without a pandemic. You get those feelings of isolation because you're on your own dealing with something that lots of people, you know, the majority of people that you know aren't dealing with those. And yeah. the anxiety is high because you're worried about getting it right. You're worried about making sure everything's going to be okay, mm -hmm. doing the right thing. Are you eating the right thing? As a carer, you're worried about looking after the person. And then to have the whole, I need to be making sure that I'm not going into busy supermarkets because I don't want to pick up COVID-19. Yeah. The yeah. mental health aspect of this must be really, really just even more intense than it is in general. Is that something... I don't know how I don't know how you can start to even to even begin to deal with that. Uh, it, it it is huge, and it's kind of um, not sure if I'm using all the right phrases today, but the elephant in the room. You know, it's it's something that that is there to a greater or lesser degree with all patients, stroke carers, spouses, and uh, the impact on on their their lives, their quality of life, um, and their general well being. And, and put that alongside what we all know to have been the case about um, lack of contact with relatives during this last year. That, that's on top of um, everything else. Um, 
But we, we've been for several years now giving high priority to in our in our campaigning mode because we do sort of operational stuff, direct support for patients, but also um, we're, we're trying to promote um, the, the importance of um, mental health, um, psychological, emotional support services. And some progress has been made locally um, as a result of discussions that we've been um, involved in and supporting um, uh, the commissioners, the local health commissioners in the Cambridge area have set up a, a, a pilot psychological and emotional support service, which is being hosted by Maggie's, uh, the, the, the cancer charity who have um, who are located on the Addenbrooke site in in Cambridge, uh, and they are encouraging um, the nurse specialists, etc., to refer into that service, and you can do a self referral and so on. That's kind of for me. It's a little bit of a breakthrough moment because um, it's not just the service being available because Maggie's offer psych- psychological support services anyway, but it's the recognition that it's an issue. That's the key here, um, an understanding that as part of um, what, um, what, what the, the, the clinicians provide, um, in addition to um, the, the, the management of the diagnosis, the prognosis, um, the, the symptoms, the, the treatment, everything else, um, and any guidance that they, they can offer clinically in, in terms of mainstream clinical services, that there is this other issue there, which, as I say, is for some people it's managed um, for other people. It's not, but it's always there. Don't let's kid ourselves that it, it's something that happens just to a few people. It's there all the time. And just an example, I was speaking to um, someone last week um, who, um, who had surgery. Um, uh, I mean, they're the sort of, as we say, the 15 to 20% of those diagnosed um, are fortunate enough to have surgery because surgery is believed to be the best option for this diagnosis. And um, I was um, having a conversation with her and she appeared, and I've, I, I know her through previous NHS work. We've both been involved in the NHS. And she was um, bright and confident and, and positive in her conversation with me, and we we caught up a little bit about old times, but obviously about her and what was happening to her, and also her partner. And she wanted to wanted me to have a conversation with her her partner to see how he was coping with things, which I subsequently did later that week. And we were talking about the patient, and this is the the person who had been positive and bright and clear when I'd spoken to her, but her partner was saying that she is depressed all of the time. Um, She spends most of her day in bed, uh, is not happy to communicate. So from my conversation with the patient, if you'd been listening in, you'd have thought that she was being very positive about it. But underneath all of that, the the, the partner um, confirmed. And of course, that has an impact on the partner. So we're, we're actually talking about a big chunk of issue here. So in addition to the diagnosis, the prognosis, the treatments, the side effects, the symptoms management, all of those signs of things that are going on, we have to get to grips with 
how we support people um, with the um, psychosocial issues arising from from their diagnosis. Um, so a, a chink of light that I just described to you, service and, and that that's happening in, in different parts of the country. Um, but we need to ramp that up and that needs to be fundamentally identified as a part of the pathway, which the NHS gets confused, it likes single pathways. Um, and, and, you know, so we, we, we need to do a little bit of encouraging and cajoling around planning um, for, for care pathways that in, explicitly include um, mental health and, and emotional support. What are your hopes then? I think we've touched a lot on this, but just, you know, the next... Let's not try and predict what might happen over the next 12 months because I don't think anyone can predict anything anymore. No. But what would you like to see happen over the next 12 months and beyond? What, you know, what would be what, what your plans? I think the first thing, we've got to look at the NHS and, and the clinical services and they've got to be, using my expression, reset. So we need to get back to where we were. But for me, there's a caveat there. Where we were is not where we want to be. So I think this is an opportunity in this reset, as I'm calling it, to say, yes, um, let's get diagnostics back to where they were. That will take some time. Um, there's a whole load of other things that can be considered at the same time, including the mental health issue that we actually put into the pathway. But before we do all of that, Charlotte, we've got to have the NHS back running at its normal capacity. But we mustn't leave this too long. You know, it's got to put we've got to bring it onto the onto the front burner um the, the other thing going forwards is um for me um more involvement of patients and carers in the design and development of cancer services um and if we look at pancreatic cancer which we're discussing at the moment um if you look at the united states approach um, their levels of patient and care involvement are much, much, much higher and better than we have in, in the UK. And they say, and I believe them, um, that as a result, um, outcomes are better. Now, we don't quite have that. We have PPI, patient public involvement, but what does that actually mean? Um, does that mean full engagement? Does that mean patients and carers being involved in the design of cancer services? Or does public engagement, patient public engagement mean this is what we're going to do? We're just going to consult you on it, which has been an NHS trait for as long as I can remember. Not that the proposition is necessarily a bad one, um, but that's not really engagement and in involvement. Um, and one of the problems with with the NHS, although it has so many wonderful features. And somebody pointed this out to me um, the, the other day, um, well, which I knew, uh, uh, making that comparison with, with, with the states. Of course, they pay for their services over there. We don't pay for the NHS services, which is great in one respect, but I think it disenfranchises people. The fact that they, they're not paying for NHS services, um, so they tend to go along with what's on offer. And we actually need more feet on the ground in, in, in the lobby that says we, we need to make changes here. We are the customers. This is what we would like to see. Um, so I think there is a fundamental difference in the, in the health systems financially 
Um, and I think there's a mindset there about accepting what, what is happening, what is what we're being told, what's being done to us, etc. And I think the, ro- the, 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 the dialogue needs to be more robust. But um, patients don't have that confidence. And they will often say to us, well, they have a discussion with us about something that's gone wrong, but they won't tell their doctor. They'll tell us, but not the doctor, because they're concerned about what he or she may think. That's not necessarily the case, because most of the consultants, nursing staff that we deal with directly are absolutely fine about, about this and having that patient dialogue. Um, but I think in the longer term, uh, Charles, the, the, the route to better outcomes in, um, in pancreatic cancer includes includes more patient and 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 carer involvement um and you've you've got to want to do it the nhs has got to want to do it um and and we haven't yet got there so so that's what i hope for the future but we need to get covid out of the way Uh, and i was going to tell you a little bit if i may uh briefly about um you know that on the on the sort of uh mental health emotional side something we we've been doing and that is where we have identified through conversation with people um, that they like their gardens birds flowers insects etc we've latched onto this and with probably about five or six of the people we're currently in contact with uh, we have a, a, a weekly you know not necessarily exactly weekly um, but regular contact and exchange of views about what we've seen in our gardens um, and what what we're looking forward to in terms of well you know in in march it's daffodils and in april it's tulips etc but talking about insects and flowers encouraging people perhaps to take pictures and send those pictures to us so we're we're having a, a chat with them about something that is so important but is non-controversial is easy for them to talk about and if it helps a bit then that's great and i think it i think it has been but it's been helping me as well except that I'm jealous of some of the birds that some people seem to find in their garden. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm still waiting for a, a, a bird of prey. But um, anyway, we, we, we'll see. But um, that's one of the things that we're doing. I love it. It's a, your own little version of Spring Watch. Or yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's so important, isn't it? Having that that discussion about something that is nothing to do with the with pancreatic cancer, with all the yeah. other stuff that's going on. And what I think... I, nature is fantastic for is just showing the beauty in tiny little differences yeah. i was out for a walk at the weekend and crocuses are coming up everywhere yeah I stopped and looked at them and just went oh, do you know what it's that new beginnings that new you know the, the cycle of life everything keeps going and that the, there is there are, there is some consistent in a world that feels really uncertain and inconsistent and all over the place February brings the crocuses March yeah, yeah. brings the daffodils like you say you can hold on yeah. to that kind of yeah. There's something going on there, isn't there? And you can go, right, I know that everything, not necessarily everything's going to be okay, but yeah. you know what? That's happened, yeah. so it's okay. I love no, that. No, it, it, it's, it's wonderful. And it, it just, just lowers the temperature of the, of the discussion. Yeah. Um, so some of this is just exchanged in email. Oh, I saw so-and-so this morning in, in the garden. And as I say, I'm very jealous of what some people are finding. But, um, you know, and then, then we'll have a, a, a phone conversation or, or, or a Zoom call or or whatever and and because that's a little bit more personal than, than than text or email of course um so that but um 
pe- people, this general well-being, and we've talked about psychological and emotional, but this general quality of life, feeling that there's something that they can do when they get up in the morning. Um, and But there are those who, um, like the lady I was describing just a short while ago, can't actually face that. Um, putting on a brave face for others, but underneath really finding it so so very difficult um so with with the future charlotte i I would say it's 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 resetting and it's more patient empowerment would would be my 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 two two messages of you know experience out of out of this dreadful period for our well for the whole world um and uh and so on and of course some people um i mean some of the research suggests that um it's and you and you would you would understand this disadvantaged people have been affected more by what has been happening than than others um so you know um and and that's something we haven't attended to either this kind of equality of access and and it goes on and on so that's part of that resetting that i was talking about have a fresh look at it see what you've been doing what's worked well what hasn't worked well and i think we'll come out with a different support service and and care pathway for for cancer not not the sort of narrow clinical confines of pathway but the the broader pathway where we can where we can support people and and perhaps help people feel just a little bit better um than than they currently do um but we, we must try and be positive and optimistic Charlotte it's not it's not just about and we've seen more more success with 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 chemotherapy than we had previously than when my my wife was was ill so some of the the chemotherapy treatments have been refined it's now possible to offer dual or triple chemotherapy options which are working for some people um and we are seeing some people surviving longer so that that's positive the stats are still bad for pancreatic cancer but some things are happening we need to build on that but build on it quite soon and 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 establish a, a new way forward really